When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This podcast is powered by Podcast Network Asia. For more information on the shows and the network, visit podcastnetwork.asia and Podmetrics, the only analytics you'll ever need for your podcast. Sign up for free at podmetrics.co and use my referral code RJ Ledesma. Our vision is so big that as people are congratulating us now, the Kumu team is so dialed in and so sure that we're so far from where we want to be that I don't think we're going to have a chance to truly celebrate our wins until the dust has settled. So what we do is we encourage, praise, and recognize each other. Maybe it's on a monthly basis. And we reflect on the year. This goal that we're trying to hit is so big. I think Kumu right now, we're a little bit less than 1% of what we want to be. Welcome to the RJ Ledesma podcast. I interview the country's pioneering business personalities and entrepreneurs and learn more about how they think about business what are their success secrets, how they've innovated their businesses during the pandemic, and of course, more importantly, what opportunities do they see emerging during this new normal? And is there a business personality or an entrepreneur that you would like me to interview here on the podcast, also here on Kumu Live Streaming? Please let me know. Drop me a message right now. Tonight's a very special podcast because I've got a good friend, but at the same time, somebody I admire so much. He is startup veteran and tech entrepreneur, Roland Ross, who is living what he calls the reverse American dream. Roland was born and raised in L.A., but he had a burning desire to set up a tech company here in the mother country that would have a high positive impact on the country. When he moved over here to the Philippines, he founded Kumu, a fast-growing live streaming app with over 5 million and growing millennial and Gen Z Filipinos living in 50 countries all over the world. And what he has done is he has indulged Filipinos all over the world with their passion for live streaming. But at the same time, through live streaming, he is helping them earn money as well. Find out how Roland raised over $6 million to build the number one social grossing app in the Philippines. And tonight is also a very special episode because we moved mountains to make sure that as Roland came here tonight, our first gift to him was to make sure that we would be live on Kumu at the same time. So again, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my very special guest here tonight, the founder and CEO of Kumu, Kumu Star, to Roland Ross. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. Woo. Roland, thanks so much for joining us. I know that you're a very busy man growing this business, scaling it up and growing it across the world. Now, before we start, I know that we're going to be talking about a lot of things, but you know, sure. how, how, how does it feel like that? I just want to just know what are your general sentiments? How do you feel right now being here at the podcast, talking both not to just people on Facebook, hearing Kumu for the first time and 
people also at the same time from the community listening to you here right now on the podcast. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's just been a little crazy, you know, trying to keep up with the the growth and dealing with, you know, just there's a, just a lot of different actors, uh, forces at play as we continue to grow. And I think when you get to a certain scale, there's just a lot of different things that uh, I have to kind of take into consideration, especially when dealing with, you know, what we're doing and being able to execute within the context of just of the Philippines, Southeast Asia, all the attention span wars that are going on in India and the US. It's just a lot of things are, are happening at the same time. So just very happy to be here. And thank you for having me. I mean, if you, if you just step back and look at the scale of what's happening, what, what's going on in your head right now? Because, I mean, you might not have realized how big Kumu is, but right now you step back and you say, oh my God, I got 5 million people downloading my app here right now. How's that feel? Uh, it's, it's great. I mean, well, the, the, the thing is, uh, so that's the number that we use publicly, right? And so as that number continues to grow, it's starting to get to a number that I will probably announce like the new number that everyone will rally around soon. It's just that, um, you know, (laughs) and, and, you know, we, when, when you're, when you're growing an app, I think the most important thing is not just how many millions of people download the app. It's how many millions of people actively use the app, which is a Mm -hmm. big difference. And so you start talking about retention, you start talking about core behaviors that drive that retention. And when, when you, when you're actually building that, then you start recognizing the importance of community. And when you start looking at community, you start recognizing really what are those unique selling propositions that, that actually create a sustainable business. And so for us, I think it's really more about focusing on the community and, and listening to them and leaving enough room for the community to define what your business is. And I think for us, it's really constantly being agile enough and humble enough to to listen to our user base and to always provide value for them so yeah i i love that it's sort of like you're actually crowdsourcing from the community how yeah. the app can iterate and grow and, and mm-hmm. that's something that's totally different because it's something that would be idiosyncratically filipino how, how the app is actually developed because of the overseas and local filipinos they're the ones actually driving the behavior of the app if you think about it yeah, absolutely. I think it's, you know, it's this kind of our buy a Nihon approach to our team. You know, we're approaching, you know, 200, you know, employees, both about 100 full-time and 100 part-time. And uh, most of our employees actually are, we found them because they're the super users of our app. So we look at the most active users and they're the ones who know Kumu, uh, you could argue more than most of, you know, most of some of our managers even. And, you know, we just say, hey, you know what? And then we make them a job offer and then we hire them and then they actually start working for the company. And because when you see that, it's the way they they passionately talk about Kumu and how they found their second family or they found this solution to their, you know, their mental health issues and those types of things. And you it becomes more real when you listen to them and they help shape the future of the app is very important. So, yeah. It's funny because it's sort of like the people with the best user experience. These are the people whom you recruited to become part of the app. And it, it just amplifies the, the, the user experience. Because Yeah, because, yeah. Yeah, you know, one of the things is, so, you know, I, I joke, I say, we need more diversity. I was looking at, for example, from the school perspective, outside of, you know, a lot of the managers who were educated internationally, a lot of people, you know, went to school at Ateneo is number one, a UP is number two, and then it's a tie between uh, Benilde and De La Salle, Manila. 
But then you start seeing these pockets, like for example, our three most valuable folks who came from the community was someone who left their place in Tugigaro and flew here, just graduated from college, someone from Mindanao, and also someone from Bacolod. And what I love about that too, is the flavor of people coming in from the North, people coming in from Mindanao, and people coming from the Visayas to really offer and show and share. And you know, people coming from universities, from provinces far and wide, have also provided a lot of value to to our vision about prioritizing the voices. Fantastic! Uh, it's, a, it's a very it's a very inclusive app. In fact, even it's not just an app which brings people who aren't usually represented because you know many of us have this have this Manila centric thinking that every, that we are you know everything comes from us. But sometimes the best content is is people from from the regions bring in really great content and even people Filipinos who've grown who've grown up abroad like, like yourselves. Who who have a you know they 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 have another perception of what being Filipino is also contribute to the app because I know that you got people from you got Filipinos you know people of Filipino descent in Italy uh, I guess in absolutely. the states and all of them do they they also contribute to how the app develops right Yeah absolutely so like for example you had mentioned earlier that we're the number one highest grossing social app in the Philippines but what people also don't know is we're also the number eight highest grossing social app in Norway the number nine highest grossing social app in the United Kingdom, the number 10 highest grossing social app in Canada, the number 10 highest grossing social app in Kuwait, the number 11 highest grossing oh, social oh, app oh, in oh. Abu Dhabi, or sorry, UAE, and also ranking in the top 25 in markets like Australia, Italy, Saudi Arabia, as well as, you know, top, I think we had our highest ranking in the US where the number 36 highest grossing social app wow. in the United States. And so when you start actually looking at this thing, you're absolutely correct. There's something beautiful about the global Filipinos, especially these Gen Zs and millennials in markets like Hong Kong, Singapore, Japan, and in the Gulf region, where many of them actually send money back home to their immediate family. And a lot of them have the hope of coming back and reuniting with the family that they're helping back home. Whereas what I've seen in UK, Australia, US, Canada, and a lot of these Western countries, they've actually migrated to these countries and there's no plan of coming back. They're That's just right. going to stay there. And so what's beautiful about Kumu as a, as a global app prioritizing the voices of what it means to be Filipino is the more content and the more data that comes in, we're starting to see this really amazing social graph. So that's something that Facebook talks about is this concept of a social graph. But our graph is a Filipino graph of, okay, someone goes live and the person is in Saudi Arabia, but their cousin is a student at UCLA, born and raised like me with this American accent, yeah. but invites their best friend who was who studied in Quezon City in high school, but is a college student, but then invites their Quezon City. But the fact that many of them are Bicolano, you have people in Naga, who then goes back to the Middle East all at the same time. And there's a certain richness about that when you see someone in the geolinguistic nature of someone being Bicolano or Ilocano or Bisaya, but then the dynamic of the Middle East to a second generation to third generation Filipino American, someone who can't speak a word of Tagalog, pero someone who actually grew up going to high school, but then migrated. There's this really nice, rich thing that's happening right now. I, I love the sort of diaspora, which, which you were able to bring together here online. And, you know, I have my own analogy while, while doing my show for you, my other show called Pitch That Dish which is for the mm. live streaming of Kumu, for, for, my, for, for our business Mercato. It's very interesting because as I talk over there, I get people start reacting, I love your food. That's great order right now. But he goes, oh, I'm in Canada. 
I'm in Saudi. <laughs> no, but it's nice to see how they're no. interacting. They're saying how I miss the street food in the Philippines, how I wish I could be there again, what's the recipe. And it's nice seeing the sort of richness that you're talking about. How does this richness actually contribute to the analytics which you're able to create? Because I'm sure the data becomes so rich. What have you been able to do with the data qualitatively and quantitatively once you start bringing that into Kumu from knowing where the Filipinos are all over the world? Does, does something start, start to emerge for you from that? Absolutely. I think from a quantitative perspective, we've arrived at this understanding that this thing is, it's all about scaling authentic connections on Kumu. So the difference between us and say a lot of other apps is the way you recognize a content creator. So you don't recognize a content creator via likes or through views. What happens is you reinforce this content with an actual virtual gift that can be translated into money. So I always compare it to busking, right? So if you've been to BGC High Street or Eastwood and you see someone playing the guitar and what have, if you like the person playing the guitar, you put a 10 peso coin in their guitar case or a 20 peso bill in their cup. And so what we're doing is we're doing that digitally. And there's something authentic about recognizing content with real money that's a lot different than likes or with comments or views and and things like that. And so what we've been able to do is start recognizing what is the type of content that actually drives these authentic connections because there's something beautiful, not about just the act of giving, but the act of someone receiving and saying, thank you for the virtual gift. These acts of kindness and these acts of thank you at scale creates a very positive experience that allows us to really make recommendations to people where it's like, because, okay, live streaming for money is not a new thing. The difference between us and other live streaming platforms for money is how these other live stream platforms sexualize women and the way that it's very, in our words, bastos. Pero dito sa kumu, it's, you know what we found out to your point about data? Food is just as engaging as sexual content, right? Singing, tambay, and quality tambay. Basically, this concept of hanging out with each other, not just from a tambay in the traditional sense, but tambay in the sense of combating boredom and loneliness because in a world full of social media noise and plastic fakeness, there's something very unique about a live environment that just allows you to be yourself in the company of strangers, friends, and family because of these core values that we have around positivity, safety, and acceptance. And so for us, when we talk about data from a quantitative perspective, it's this act of getting people into these authentic connections. But from a qualitative perspective, it's actually picking up the phone and talking to our users and recognizing the why, which is this whole concept of really spending quality time together in an authentic way. So one of our investors, Liza Golkongwe, I was just talking to her her brother Lance today, and we were reflecting on you know this thing that we're building. And there's something really beautiful. I was just sharing with him this example of somebody who a user. So this is one of the most qualitative you know kind of experiences I ever had. Mm-hmm. Was just a few days ago. This user, he is a an artist. And, you know, he was struggling with his, his, form, his art business and he was having a hard time. And it was actually through Kumu, he was actually able to do commissions. And when he heard about my story about, you know, my mother raising me, he actually created a painting that he presented to me and, and shared with me. Not only did Kumu change his life, but he met a woman that he plans to spend the rest of his life with in wow. Canada. This guy lives in Paranyake. And then in addition to that, he showed me a tattoo 
of our Kumu mascot, Carlito, that he tattooed into his leg because every time he looks at that tattoo, it reminds him of how this app has become a second family to him. I just And, and where's your Kumu tattoo, Roland? I don't, I don't <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a pusoko. It's just right here. It's in my heart. But yeah. I love right now that on the chat box, we're seeing a lot of people saying Kumu is love. And I really appreciate that. If you've got questions for Kumu, please make sure uh, to put that in our in our chat box. Kumu is love anime. Download Kumu is the most important thing from Madsen, Matt Bautista, Federigan over oh, here. But I guess the more important thing here right now, you know, I, I belong to the to the boomer generation. I'm from I'm from Gen X, right? And for many of them, you know, we're, I'm so enthusiastic about talking about Kumu, but the but the thing about this thing about this is that many of them might be clueless right now if I'm speaking to the Gen X or maybe the people who haven't converted yet into Kumu. Could you please tell them a bit more, you know, in a nutshell, what Kumu is all about and maybe probably the closest analogy to Kumu and uh, encourage them to download Kumu as well? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, so that is one of the key things, right, is why it's so popular with Gen Z's millennials is because it is a new social app that, so there's this whole concept of just, uh, Eugene Y talks about it's called status as a service. And the thing is, one of the reasons why Gen X and older don't really kind of gravitate to these platforms, not just Kumu, but also TikTok and things like that, is that um, as a young person, this whole concept of status and uh, is something that is actually very important. And there, there's a lot of validation uh, that occurs in that person. And so when you have a family or you're getting older, you don't really care about those things as much. Uh, and and things like that. So I, I think that for us, the biggest thing is we were able to flip the status as a service business on its head and really focus on the fact that this is a community. This is basically an online community of global Filipinos who get together in an authentic way. And I think the reason why we scale up, it's a platform for authentic connections and that's it. So when I say that we're scaling authentic connections, a lot of times when you do talk to like an older Filipino, maybe authentic connections aren't that important thing. But however, we have seen, especially in COVID, that authentic connections is very critical in, in an environment where boredom and loneliness is at an all-time high. And so as a platform built around authentic connections, zero in focused on the Philippine market, there's all sorts of different opportunities for people to be entertained or to earn an income through authentic connections, whether it's through live stream virtual gifts or what we just launched recently, which is e-commerce. So yeah, I would just basically say it's just an online platform for authentic connections. To make it even simpler, it's just a live streaming app for Filipinos. Yeah. So, yeah. And how I would put it in, in a sort of like boomer, boomer context, it's like you all have your own channel. You all have your own video channel and people can just tune in to watch you in whatever channel that you have. And if they like uh, you, they can no. just say, they send you. They send you. They send you some money because they they appreciate you. They send you some money. I mean that that's how you, it's like a busker sending you, giving a busker some money because you like his content. Yeah. So to your point, a lot of times uh, what I do compare it to is busking. Where so I so I I I, I uh, explain what busking is, and they go, oh yeah yeah yeah, I know that what that is. I go, it's a digital version of that. That that's for so a boomer. That's a perfect. Yeah. When they say when they under, if I go, do you know what busking is? And they say, yes, I go, we're, we're a digital busking platform. 
And everyone who's entertaining is happens to be Filipino, and the audience is mostly young Filipinos. So yeah. Oh, by the way, Ronster Bai Chong, Ron Bai Chong, thanks so much for listening to us. What's hey, up, Ron? Of Podcast Network. Right. Here's here's a very interesting story uh, for you while, while Ron is there. Ron, Ron, I hope you're listening here right now. You know, Roland, how I met Ron Baitian of Podcast Network Asia. He no. was one of my first guests on my show called Bright Ideas on, on uh, Bloomberg Philippines, where we oh, featured wow. where we featured Party Five, his very first startup, which collapsed, which collapsed. Yeah. And after Party Five, the next season we had, he came back with his chatbot app. So I wanted to feature his story, but he had his chatbot PH app. And now I'm so happy that now I'm under him in his newest venture for Podcast Network Asia. So very happy. And I'm glad to see also, you know, uh, you know how, how the universe is, you know, how, how, how the universe collaborates. You've got now Podcast Network Asia working together with Kumu to really grow this community. I, and I, I think that's a really great thing for the Philippines. Now, yeah. where can also people download, uh, where can people download right now Kumu, just for those who aren't familiar yet on how to go about oh, it? Oh, yeah. So we're just basically in the, the, the main three stores. So, uh, you can go to the Google Play Store, you can go to the Apple App Store, or you can go to the Huawei uh, App Store and then just type in Kumu, K-U-M-U. Okay. Yeah. So, let me step back a bit. I got so enthusiastic uh, that uh, with talking to you about Kumu that I wanted to, I wanted to step back a bit more. And also, yeah, for sure. you know, let's, let's talk a bit more about you know what informed you and what led you to, to creating Kumu because I think it's also important to see how sort of like your, your Filipino-American perspective and upbringing led you to creating uh, this app over here. So before that, no, I know that you told me earlier that it's been a really busy day for you. It's been a busy year for you. But, yeah. but if, if you step back, what's, what's a typical or an atypical day for you right now, Roland, with, with everything that you're doing? I mean, every day is so busy. Like, for example, I mean, this morning I started the day I uh, met with Liza and then had a chat with uh, Sir Lance uh, Gokongwei and just talking about uh, Kumu and just the future of the Philippines and things like that. And then a little bit later, I uh, spoke to the family that owns uh, Shangri-La uh, Hotels. Uh, so they're actually the, the wealthiest family in Malaysia. And we were just kind of talking about the future. Then I also talked to um, our main investor, uh, open Space Ventures. So what's really interesting about Open Space Ventures is uh, they were also the so they led our Series A investment here in the Philippines, and they also led the Series A investment for Gojek, which actually became the ten wow. billion dollar super app uh, of Indonesia. So just kind of really talking through you know the future, uh, those types of things, and then you know a couple of interviews for the team, uh, and then also just kind of working through. So I was talking to uh, our Series B plan. So basically, if you guys aren't familiar with the venture capital, right? So we raised around. Uh, $5 million uh, for our Series A. So now, because we have some strong unit economics and some strong metrics, we're preparing for what you call a Series B, which is a very large round. It's actually three to four times larger than than the Series A. And so just kind of talking through the plans with the team, just making sure that everything is all dialed in with our e-commerce. Uh, everything's dialed in with a microtransaction business. Everything's dialed in with our brand partnerships and then talking to our, our, our growth team and, and things like that. So it's just a combination of just really looking at a lot of data, having strong one-on-one and frank discussions with my managers, and then just talking to a lot of folks about the, the future of the digital GDP of the Philippines. I think that a lot of people need to recognize that although there's COVID and a lot of people can be complaining about a lot of certain things, the Southeast Asian region and specifically the Philippines is on a trajectory. There's a lot, it's an amazing market of 100 million people 
based in the Philippines, but also over 10 million people around the world who send billions of dollars back home. And there's a lot of opportunities there. You know, talking to, um, I had a short, a quick chat with Ray uh, over at Quickwire and, 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 and talking to him and also talking to uh, some other folks in, in the venture capital firm. So, you know, just talking uh, across the board and, and, and there's just a really big hope and excitement about all the opportunities there are here in the Philippines to do, to, to do great business. So I, yeah. I love that. I, and I, I want to pause there before we talk a bit more about Kubu, but that's one of the things I want to point out here in, in this podcast that yeah. in particular, if you do have that entrepreneurial mindset, you know, yeah. many Filipinos, they think that, you know, this, this, this country is beset by, by problems. I should leave because I need to migrate yeah. because there's so many problems. But if, if you are an entrepreneur, you think the other way, you think, there's so many problems here in the Philippines. It's great. I'm going to come over to solve them to, to yeah. make things better because that's what, you, that's what Ray did with Cookwire and, and that's also what you're doing. That's a great mindset. It's, very, it's a great positive thing because we need more people to hear about these stories that these problems are actually business opportunities. What are Absolutely. these opportunities that you're actually seeing that, that create that digital GDP? Maybe you can share a bit more of your ideas on what you think are these emerging opportunities. Yeah, I think like, for example, one of the biggest things is BCG... Uh, Boston Consulting Group did a report saying that e-commerce is a $4 trillion emerging market opportunity. And the three main levers are payments, right? And we, you know, our, one of our uh, biggest partners on the payment side is a company called Paymongo that you know, we do quite a bit of business with. Right? Yeah. And then on the logistics, so, and then the second lever is called logistics. So on the logistics side, you know, there's another person uh, that we love and adore that we work with. His name is Steve C., uh, which is uh, from Great, Great Deals yeah. Commercial. And then the third lever is what we call digital influence. And then that's where Kumu is really focused on, which is the digital influence lever. So again, so here's a small example of how the BCG report is on the payment side, the logistics side, and the digital influence side. We could all work together to, to, to work on, uh, on ways to, to really uplift the, the country as well as focus on the digital transformation. Now, outside of that, there's, there's a lot of things, you know, um, one particular investor of our, or not investor, sorry, uh, potential person that we've been talking a lot to, um, they invested uh, $20 million in a digital bank called Tonic Bank. This is their first investment into the Philippines. And I think there's really interesting opportunities there. Or for example, when I am talking with Liza and talking about uh, digital transformation and the opportunities that do exist with, say, like, you know, what does a post-COVID world look like? You know, what will happen to, to, to office spaces and mall spaces and just rethinking what it means for e-commerce uh, alone, I think, is a big. So I think the digital transformation of financial services and tech, the way people consume content and also um, commerce online, I, I just see so much uh, growth opportunities across the board. I love it. I love it. And that's why I, this is a great opportunity for people to learn about uh, where they can position themselves. They don't have to play everything. They can just play one thing over the mm -hmm. other. Let's say, for example, like what you're doing is for you, you're building the influence side and you're just partnering up and collaborating for the logistics and the payment side. So, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of different ways we can, we can play the situation, uh, especially yeah. as we emerge in the new normal. And uh, I'm just guessing that, that Kumu was, was one of those apps which actually grew, I guess, even tenfold during this crisis because... You know, like you said, many people were suffering because they were at home. There were mental health issues that people couldn't socialize too much. So they used Kumu as the way uh, for them to, I, I guess, as, a, as an emotional and a mental outlet for them to, to, to vent, to have people to talk to. Is that, is that right? 
you know, there's been times where we'd actually, the, the thing would just shut down because there's just too many people uh, on the wow. app. And, and I, I think that, yes, um, in this COVID world, there, there's always, actually, and pre-COVID, there's always been this kind of need to have these authentic connections, to, to spend time. Um, there's there's this, this level of boredom and loneliness. So with boredom and loneliness, that was already a problem pre-COVID. I think it just really exasperated the, the whole issue of boredom and loneliness. And so I think, um, you know, when talking to uh, some of our friends over uh, at ByteDance, which owns uh, TikTok, or when talking to a lot of uh, our other friends in the short form video space and also mm-hmm. uh, in the fintech and e-commerce space, you did see uh, a nice uh, uplift in usage. Uh, you know, it's one of the reasons why we are very uh, grateful for one of our investors. So uh, our investors, uh, they own a tel- telco called Globe Telecom. And what I love about Globe, just recently, we just got included into their data packages. That's right. And, yeah. And so, you know, being a part of GoShare as the only Filipino app, uh, so it's basically, it's Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Kumu, uh, Twitter, Snapchat, and House Party. And what's so cool about these types of data packages is now people don't really have to worry because live streaming is kind of expensive. I mean, it could burn through your data very quickly. And so with the help of telcos like Globe, it really gives us an opportunity to provide people with an opportunity to just connect with others without having to worry so much about their, their data costs. And uh, that's something that we're very looking forward to. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. I mean, this is really uh, blowing my mind as, as to how it opens up opportunities, especially seeing it from a, from a digital perspective and pr- from your perspective. Now, as I speak to you, Roland, I get a strong sense of, you know, you're, you're, a, you're a highly self-motivated person. You, you continue to be sharp. You've got to keep yourself in touch with whatever hap- whatever is happening in the digital world. What do you do? do you, how do you keep sharp? Do you exercise? Do you read books right now? Do you have time? Do you have hobbies? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I would not, I cannot start the day without my morning ritual. I am a mess. And uh, if I don't have my daily quiet time, if I don't do my morning ritual, I'm dead. And I need that because it allows me to stay focused. So what I do is the first thing I do is I wake up and I do my daily devotion. And it just really kind of centers me and puts things into perspective as why I do this, because um, everything that I do comes from a place of love, not the romantic love. It's a deep spiritual kind of love that allows me to be a selfless leader, a servant leader who is focused on purpose. And so by doing that, it puts me into the next step of my ritual, which is reading my purpose. So I have a document that I've been reading to myself for 10 years, And this thing has my short-term goals, my mid-term goals, my long-term goals. It was something that I just pray about and just kind of make sure. And so what's cool about it is that every three to four years, I end up having to rewrite it because I end up hitting all those goals, right? And so then from that uh, daily document that I read every single morning, I go right into my morning exercise, which is a combination of uh, push-ups, core, uh, depends uh, a little bit of yoga or just a nice walk. Uh, around Makati, but it has to be at least 30 minutes. And then once I do the 30 minutes, then I start the day. If I don't, if any one of those things are off, I am dead. I can't even focus. I can't even, I'm a, I'm, I'm a mess. I'm a sunget. Uh, a lot of people can't deal with me. And if I don't have my daily devotion, my daily thing, like if I don't have that, it, it yeah. kills the rest of the day. Importante ang mag-save, pero bakit marami ang walang ipon? The answer is because we don't spend enough time in learning practical financial strategies. This is Fitz Villafuerte, 
a registered financial planner, and I'm inviting you to listen to the 80% podcast, kung saan tuturuan ko kayo kung paano yumaman. So join me and let's talk about personal finance on the 80% podcast. Hi, this is Michael Waits and I'm the host of the Age of Tech podcast. Join me as I interview tech thought leaders, investors, and business founders across Asia to get the best insights on how they built their businesses from the ground up. Check out my new episodes every Wednesday at asiatechpodcast.com. All things Asia, all things tech. I'm Stanley Chi from the Underpaid Podcast. We talk about work-related topics na parang nagchichismisan lang sa pantry. It's a pro-employee podcast na relatable sa lahat ng nag-opisina, pumapasok man, petics, o work from home. Listen and subscribe to the Underpaid Podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor. Kita-kits, mga immortal. This one, I just wanted to point out across many of the speakers I have, and I didn't have to bring the question uh, to you anymore about, you know, how does, how, does, how does your faith inform what you do? But apparently, that's, not, that's not really how you start your day. Because same thing for David Almirol of Multisys. The guy from Multisys, he was raised by a pastor because his dad was an OFW. So oh, wow. that, that, that's why for him, you know, it, it, it also informs how he views competition. He goes, it's not competition. Everything is collaboration. We have, we have to work together. And I had Osemary Chan over here, our harbinger of Christmas in the Philippines. Yeah. And he was saying how, how key it was to him as well in, in what he was doing. And everybody seemed to be about, you know, it, it revolves around the same idea of service and, and authenticity and, and wanting to help other people. And that seems to be the same thing, that your faith has allowed you to become very authentic in what you do. Because if, if you are authentic uh, with yourself, then you can create authentic connections in the app that you do. And that's, that is, that's, what, I, that's what I see. Yeah. Is that, is that what I can say? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's like super important. And I think that by, by being centered, you know, one of the biggest pieces of advice, you know, I, I think the number one book for, for a CEO or a founder type is this book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. And mm-hmm. inside that book by Ben Horowitz, there is this concept of really managing what's between your ears or right here. And if you don't, if you're not properly managing and taking care of this, I just feel like there's a mental health crisis when it comes to uh, people who have founded startups, the ups and downs, because, you know, it's great because the reason why I'm on this podcast is because there's a perception that, that, that Kumu is doing well, but how about like two years ago when not that many people believed in us and I, I first moved here and no one knew who we were, I'm still the same Roland. And so for a lot of those entrepreneurs, when, when the app is not doing well or when your business is about to go out of business, like, for example, yay, we raised $5 million, but how about the story that three weeks before we got that wire, we all thought we were going to go out of business because we had no money in the bank, right? Like th- those types of things, right? And so it's like, how are you and how are you in your morning with your inner circle with, and where you are spiritually, mentally, emotionally? And those are the, those, the most important things that you got to hold on to and just remind yourself. And what I remind myself too, is that Kumu is only two years old, but my journey of never giving up on the Philippines is actually 17 years old because I've always, ever since I was an entrepreneur in the US and sold my business, I always tried to come back here and serve and serve and serve and in and, and, and all these different capacities, it didn't really work. You know, I tried being a, a missionary, you know, I tried being a humanitarian. You know, I tried uh, investing in a company that went out of business every single time. Yes, I failed, but I learned. And then I took those lessons with me and tried again. I took those lessons with me 
tried again, took those lessons with me, tried again, took those lessons with me. And here I am 17 years later on this uh, two year journey with Kumu. And I always remind myself of that, that in, and in any moment, Kumu could be taken away from me, but Roland, the person who focuses on helping other people and has enough self-love and keeps a tight interpersonal relationship, inner circle of friends will remain even without Kumu. And that is what I die for. And that's what I live for is in service to other people and in service to my, my family and close friends. You know, fantastic, and and this is what I want. This is what I also want to point out that that's the idea. Because many Filipinos, when they fail in business, they feel like that they failed in life, and they don't want to repeat it again. But the thing I want to point out is even for myself, I feel for you because I've I've been I've been the same type of person where you know I've had businesses which had to close down, and yeah. in this crisis, many of the businesses I've been running have closed down. But we realize that failure is actually an investment in your mindset. Or, a, yeah. or investment on how to improve the business in the future. And that's exactly what happened to you. Now, I will talk about a bit more about your, your what I call your secret origin as an entrepreneur. But I'm so intrigued right now that, that you were actually ra- born and raised in the States. And I thought I've got, of course, like all of us, we've got relatives in the States. But you had this strong burning desire to come back and help the Philippines in, in whatever form or capacity, whether it's as, as a humanitarian, like you said, or as a missionary. Where did that spirit come from? Because I don't see that for many people who were who, who've been born and raised uh, abroad. Especially, you, you might be you might the people who who look Filipino but they don't have the heart to be or there they don't have that same compassion that you had to come back and help uh, the the mother country. Where did yours come from, Roland? Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, so uh, uh, another organization that we're part of that we've been spending a lot of time with is Endeavor, and you know with uh, Manny Ayala and. Manny on, on network effects and really investing and utilizing their social capital to help raise up entrepreneurs. And I remember when um, they had reached out to us and say, Hey, Roland, how do we get more people to come back? Like, how do we create more uh, use to actually come back here or more Paul's or and, and Paul from uh, caliber and that caliber, type of stuff. Yeah. And I was telling them that I, came, I I experienced, I went through a life changing experience in college. So I went to school at the university of California, Santa Barbara, and uh, it's the headquarters of the study abroad program for the University of California. And for anyone in the University of California that wants to study abroad, they have to go through my campus. And all my friends and so many of my friends uh, that I knew, they would go to like Tokyo, Barcelona, you know, um, Korea, Europe, like just like all the fancy places. And you know, it was weird because my parents never really talked about the Philippines as much or never really had this desire uh, to come back. And so I remember one time there was a thing. It just said Philippines. And I'm like, what? There's an opportunity to study in the Philippines? No way. And I was telling all my friends, like, let's go, let's go. And I was the only one who went and uh, in my campus. And so I it was at the UP Los Baños campus because oh, – wow. um, yeah. And so yeah. what happened is I was in an exchange program. It was founded by, uh, her name is Ate Susan Kimpo, who unfortunately just who passed away this year. And I actually uh, wrote a, a memorial uh, writing for her on, on Esquire. And she's just an amazing, beautiful, heartfelt champion of investing and helping uh, other people. And she recognized in me this desire because I didn't feel I felt more at home in the Philippines than I did in Los Angeles. 
And a lot of it happened. I remember, you know, being 21 years old, not feeling entirely Filipino because of listen to my accent or not feeling completely American because of the way I look. And I remember climbing, um, she took me to this mountain, Mount Banahao. And in Mount Banahao, I climbed up and I came across this waterfall. And I just went underneath and just felt this feeling as though the motherland uh, was baptizing me. And at that moment, I felt more at home. And I just knew that I would live and die uh, for their motherland from that moment forward. And so what I was telling Endeavor is that Unfortunately, that program ran out of funding and is no longer uh, around. That it's those types of programs, not these like seven day things, you know, not these like, uh, you know, because Ambassador Jose Quisha was one of my uh, inspirations. He actually challenged us to actually move to the Philippines. So he has like a program. But the problem with that program, it's only seven days. The thing is, it can't be seven days. It has to be this immersive program. You know, this program, they go, oh, you're Filipino American. I'm going to show you what Filipino American is. And they took us to Angela City in Alongapo and they go, look at this American base called Clark and look what's happening. And so we saw the toxic waste contamination left behind by the U.S. military and how it impacted the cerebral palsy victims. We went into the red light districts experiencing the the impact of what a military uh, complex has on the local population confronting what it means to be both Filipino and American at the same time. I mean, it was it was not oh, let's go to Greenbelt uh, for two weeks and party and then go back home experience. It wasn't that. It was that. It was going in and eating a boodle fight with, with the local Aitas, with our hands, you know. It's, it's, it's going to, to Banawe and actually picking rice in the rice terraces. You know, a very deep and immersive program. I was there for, I wish I was there longer, but it was only eight weeks. But these are the type of programs that I think, and I know, for sure, I want to invest in, you know, when I have the means, but it's these programs that just really open up the, the, the possibilities that, you know, the Philippines is not what you see on the headlines. And the Philippines is not just some two week uh, vacation uh, that you post on Instagram uh, for a couple of weeks. There's something deep and beautiful that, that needs to, to be unveiled and experienced. And I think that it, it was that program that really changed my life. Wow. So it was really a great uh, and meaningful connection which you had in, in that short period of time. And uh, again, um, we pay respect to uh, Professor Stella Kimpo for really, for really igniting in you that, that spirit of becoming a, a Filipino and for Mount Banana for baptizing you to becoming <laughs> a Filipino. So tell us yeah. more about your journey after that. I understand, you know, from reading your background, startup entrepreneur, soldier on business, you know, soldier of startup. I mean, those are the, the, the stories that you like to read a lot, right? But tell us a bit more about what actually happened and then what made you come here eventually. Yeah, so with Ate Susan, um, I always like, okay, cool. I'm going to, as soon as I graduate from college, I'm going to come back. Uh, but the thing is, you know, uh, my mom raised me and I, I'm, I'm actually, even though I'm Filipino-American, I actually didn't really have that much resources. So I actually had to start from scratch. And, you know, I became uh, an entrepreneur and I figured that maybe being an entrepreneur would be the best way for me to have the resources to come back to the Philippines and have an impact. And so <laughs> that journey was so long. Um, I, I met some friends and um, they had started this internet company that I en- ended up becoming a partner of. And uh, we moved to San Francisco. So I was in Los Angeles and my, uh, my other partners were in Chicago and in Oregon. And we all moved to to San Francisco 
uh, in this tiny house and I was living in the kitchen next to the refrigerator. I had a, um, uh, what is it called? A sleeping bag on the floor. So every time someone opened the the fridge, I could smell the the dirty fridge and had a hard time. <laughs> so I had to get like a thing. And then we also had peop- uh, engineers in the attic and engineers in the garage. And uh, we had like our HR department in one of the bedrooms and then the entire, all the desks were in the living room. It was that type of a situation. And I remember, again, a classic startup story that prepared me for the Philippines was, oh my gosh, we only have enough money to cover payroll this month. What do we do? And because the company that we started was an internet marketing software company, we recognized that, wow, yes, we gave away the software for free. And it became one of the most popular software. It's called Tracking 202. And internet marketers around the world were utilizing it. Tens of thousands of people were making hundreds of millions of dollars worth of data decisions based off of our software. But again, we weren't making any money because we gave away the software for free. And so to keep the company alive, we got in a car and met with advertiser agencies and internet marketing companies all over saying, hey, we have the marketing power of hundreds of millions of dollars because they use our software. Problem is we're giving it away for free, so we're not making any money and we're about to go out of, oh, we didn't tell them we're about to go out of the business. We're just saying we have this much uh, data power. And then we said, if you put your logo on our website, we'll charge you $5,000 a month. And then they're like, yes, yes, yes. And, we're, and I was looking at my partner, I was like, wait, what? No way. <laughs> so, so right when we were about to run out of money, we were able to sell 10 spots at $5,000 a month each that right when we ran out of money, $50,000 came in and we were able to pay, pay our employees. And so long story short, it was a business that grew very quickly because one of the platforms they decided we decided to integrate with, um, a lot of people said, oh, why didn't you guys integrate with MySpace? Facebook is just a stupid college network. And that decision for us to integrate with Facebook blew up our data so much so that we actually got an offer to sell the company for millions of dollars. And so we ended up um, selling that business. And so when we sold that business, finally, I had the chance, I was uh, in my late 20s, that I wanted to pursue my first, my first go at, at you know, helping the Philippines. And at the time, I thought it was going to be a humanitarian, and I failed terribly um, at being humanitarian. But at the same time, though, again, it was like, wow, I have the resources, I want to go back. And so that's what I did. I started engaging. Uh, and not, uh, my first go around in nonprofit work was right after that story. So yeah. Wow. So you from from a capitalist venture to a humanitarian venture that 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 for me, you know, that that kind of You've covered the, all the bases over there. You've done, you know, you've done work for for profit and not for profit for for, for me, which I find pretty amazing. Then, what was the final journey uh, that brought you over here to the Philippines at the start of Kumu? I, I remember you were telling me that you had this great idea and you and you brought in your own batch of uh, Avengers, Philippine American Avengers from the states. You you went all around the states to, to collect them to bring them back here. Yeah, yeah. So what happened is during this back and forth experience, I'm doing humanitarian work. And then I'm going back to the U.S. doing business, humanitarian work, business in the U.S. And so, again, back to Ambassador Jose Quisha. Ambassador Quisha was like, Roland, we appreciate your back and forth. But because of the upward trajectory of the Philippines, the technology type of work you do in the U.S., if you actually brought that to the Philippines, maybe that's the best way that you could impact the country. So a lot of people don't recognize that Kumu actually came from a humanitarian context. And so my co-founder, Rexy, 
uh, he had founded a nonprofit uh, while he was a student at Brown University, and he was actually bringing Filipino students to the Philippines and having them going through these life-changing experiences that reminded me of my life-changing experience. And so when we decided to combine forces, we're like, oh, crap, based off of what Jose Quisha said, we can't do this on our own. And so we said, look, let's go contact the best people we can meet. So we did our our, our best impression of Samuel Jackson or Nick Fury. <laughs> then that's when we went to New York. We went to Washington, D.C., Silicon Valley, San Francisco, L.A., San Diego, looking for a batch of equally uh, passionate Filipino-Americans who are willing to move with us to the Philippines. So, yeah. And did you, did you find them? Yeah, we started with an initial batch of five. And then when we moved here, we also met a great local team of leaders. And so we have, we have one particular team that we call the Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, you have Vicky uh, Herrera, who is, um, you know, we call Black Widow. Sambi uh, Rodriguez Tong, we, we joke, is, is our Captain Marvel. So there's actually local leaders as well, as well as um, kind of international leaders. Like we call Casey Montero. He's our Thor because he comes from a planet of celebrities and he communicates with all these Asgardian celebrities. And every time they talk about Kumu on YouTube, we tend to get tens of thousands of downloads uh, every time they say, you know, download Kumu. And so, yeah, so it's just, it's really cool. We have like all these yeah. different kind of heroes. Yeah. It's amazing because I just want to let you know, if you compare notes with David Almirol of Multisys, he actually, he, he, he is sort of like Iron Man. And if you see, his, <laughs> you see if you see Multisys office, it's all life-size statues of, of the Avengers. and all the people there have cool names. <laughs> well, same thing. The Avengers, they've got the Black Widow, they've got Black Panther, they've got Captain America. So you guys should compare notes after this all done. You guys seem to have a similarity in terms of your how you want to help uh, the population. Now, let's talk. Let's get, let's get a bit more into the actual Kumu uh, and when you began, because I know that you did say that it's two years old. But when you started Kumu, the first iteration of Kumu wasn't the iteration that it is right now. But yeah. at the time that you were creating it. You, were, you thought that you were solving a, a legitimate problem because like any entrepreneur, you're there to solve a pain point or a problem. What did you see as that pain point or problem that you were trying to solve when you initially created Kumu? Well, one of the things is uh, we were really inspired by building a consumer internet company that prioritizes the voices of an entire country. So a lot of times people mistakenly call that a super app. So, you know, you see what WeChat did in China, Kakao in Korea, Line in mm-hmm. Japan. Or what Gojek, I think, is the best, what we've seen in an emerging market, prioritizing the voices of an entire country with Indonesia. And so for us, we said, why don't we build an app that prioritizes the voices of the Filipinos? So we thought that the first initial would be similar to what we saw with VNG Corporation in Vietnam. They built a $2 billion app ecosystem prioritizing the voices of the Vietnamese, and they led in with a, a social messaging app called Zalo. So we thought that because of the social... Um, aspect of Filipinos that a Filipino social messaging app would actually blow up. And what ended up happening is no one cared. However, because we had this live streaming feature in the background, we noticed uh, looking at the data that the cohorts were so high in retention with regards to live streaming, we decided to pivot as a live streaming app. And that's when millions of people downloaded the app. So with that said, the thesis has always been prioritizing the voices of Filipinos. But for us, from a adjacent user uh, sequence, it doesn't make sense to try to capture the entire uh, Philippine base right now. For us to really build a strong base, uh, we're really focusing on Gen Zs and millennials. And so because of that, uh, live streaming became something that really 
really grew and has really positioned us to take maybe a, a different type of approach to prioritizing the voices as a consumer internet company. Like if you look at VNG, VNG has multiple apps. If you look at Kakao, they have multiple apps. And so more and more, it's starting to look like that maybe it might be a multiple app strategy to capture the digital GDP of the Philippines. Um, but again, we have to stay focused. And right now we have so much more ground uh, to cover uh, when it comes to attention span and uh, microtransaction and e-commerce that we need to focus on uh, Kumu, the live streaming app, before we try to do anything else. But what I want to point out over here is that what's very interesting is that sometimes you don't realize that, um, you know, in, in many businesses, I think same thing happened for things like for like YouTube or, or for things like a Yelp, that, that, that when, they were, when they were initially started, it wasn't what they thought it would be at the start, but it was actually no. a side feature of the app, which became the main feature of the app. And this is exactly what happened to Kumu. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's exactly it. And, um, and that's why data is so important, why you have to track every single behavior so that the moment it becomes a quantitative, like, oh, shoot, something's off here. Then you pick up the phone and start having qualitative you know, studies around why. And so bourbon is one of our favorite things is bourbon started out as a check-in messaging app that not that many people cared about, but so many people utilizing the photo sharing and photo editing feature that bourbon pivoted into photo editing and photo featuring and then rebranded itself as Instagram, right? Or the same thing is um, the Glitch, Glitch, the video gaming uh, platform. That was an amazing video gaming platform, but the team was like, dude, it's not taking off like we expected, but hey, we built something where we're messaging each other. Wow, we created a, a great platform where we're messaging each other. And they decided to pivot into a messaging platform for teams. And boom, they rebranded themselves as Slack, which became a multi-billion dollar business. A lot of people don't recognize that Slack actually started out as a video game. And so same thing with us. We, we start out as a messenger app, but the data is telling us that we're actually a live streaming app because... For us to actually win and capture a toehold into the attention span of the Philippines, it's like, whoa, a majority of Filipinos are already Gen Z and millennial anyways. So if you're Gen Z and millennial, why are you guys launching a messaging app? That's so 2010. And so again, <laughs> you keep on just fine-tuning and fine-tuning that now that live... So we were talking about live streaming back in 2017 to, or 2018 uh, at a time where people aren't really recognizing live streaming until two years later, which is right now. So it's just, uh, it's it's a really, really, really interesting uh, journey. And, and talking about the journey, um, let, let's let's go back a bit more. And you talk about the point where, you know, like in every entrepreneurial journey, there's always the ups and downs. It's, it's the roller coaster of being an entrepreneur, which you experienced yeah. in your previous company. And in this one, tell me about the point where you did feel like that, you know, you wanted to, you want to quit. I'm sure there was a point when you were like two weeks down the road, you got, you had nothing there, right? How did you, tell me about those, those low times and how did you, how did you start sort of persevere and, and, and just go through those times? What, what, what kept you going? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, um, you know, in those, 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 those low points, right? There's the time where you have a really uh, exciting investor discussion and you hear that they're going to send the wire, but then at the very last second, you find out that someone else kind of cut in and said some bad things uh, about you as a person. And you think that the very future of your company is dependent on this wire and it's actually threatened. And if you don't receive this wire, you're going to actually have to close the business. You know, those types of uh, discussions in the early days 
or for example, when raising our, our series A and uh, according to our term sheet, our valuation was based off of what we would accomplish in November and we hit our goals. Oh my gosh, we are, you know, the most valuable consumer tech company in the Philippines. You know, one of our goals was to pass Surpass's uh, market cap. And so we're like, based off of this term sheet, we're more valuable than Surpass and we're all jumping around like crazy, right? But then what, what the investors didn't tell us is because of due diligence and things like that, the wire wouldn't come in until months later. And because we were already super, super razor sharp thin, you're actually like, oh my gosh, if we don't figure out a way to generate revenue, or if we don't figure out a way to get some investors to give us a little bit more money, we might actually go out of business before the investor wire comes in. And so those are the types of kind of things that in the middle of it all, what I've learned as a, as a CEO is I have to give credit to everyone, but take the responsibility for every failure. And by taking responsibility for every failure, I put it all on myself so that because I'm the one who's always waking up in the morning and having to be utterly prepared and taking the responsibility and taking ownership of the hard calls. And it's not glamorous. I'm, I warn people that a lot of people, that's why I hate the word entrepreneur, is that if you're not willing to make that hard call and take ownership of every single failure of the company, but at the same time, give credit to everyone and not take credit, just give credit to all your managers. Um, I don't know if you're actually ready to, to, to be an entrepreneur because there's a huge psychological price to be able to, to be ready. And so that's why to your point, having, you know, a strong foundation in faith and having a strong identity and, and understanding that the, my three sources of happiness, it, okay. There's four wrong Four wrong ways for having it's not about how much money you make, it's not about your accomplishments, it's not about how you look, and it's not about who likes you, who cares about those things. The three things that I've learned is one, am I committed to self-growth? Two, do I have deep interpersonal relationship with my friends, close friends and family? And three, am I helping other people? And as long as I'm good with that, I could lose Kumu and be okay with it because I know I tried my best. And, and I just have to take ownership of it. And what's beautiful about that is because I'm so ready to take ownership and take the hard calls, I gained the trust of my investors. I gained the trust of my employees. I gained the trust of my business partners so that we're able to do good business. I love that. Gained the trust of my community, you know, and you just go, you know? So, Yeah. And, and, and having said that, no, I mean, I'm, I'm truly inspired by, by, by what you have, what, what you've shared, and you've also helped me articulate some of my own, the own, my own thoughts that have been in my head. And I keep on realizing that what, what is the purpose behind me running my own business, which was, which is a food market basically, but it was a food incubator business because we were helping people grow, we were helping yeah. other people, oh. and that sort of, if that sort of fuels your passion for the business that you're doing, um, it goes beyond, you know, you, you. You can fail, but you realize that because you helped other people, you become richer for it uh, yes. as, a person, as a person. And ha- having said that, no, you've gone through the ups and downs. And now that you're at this point, what for you did you feel was that defining moment when you said, ah, it's going be, it's, it's to work? Or wow, I can't believe Kumu has come this far. What was that moment for you? Well, there's, um, there's still a couple of things. I think that, one, we're still very, very far. And that goes to 
this thing. So one of my uh, spiritual mentors, his name is uh, Rick Warren. Uh, he wrote a book uh, mm-hmm. called um, The Purpose of Life. Yeah. And so he always said something like, if you want 100 people to come to your event, you don't invite 100. You have to invite 1,000 for 100 to show up. And same thing uh, with Tracking 202. Like, you know, we ended up selling that company for around $10 million, but our goal was to sell it for $100 million. So a lot of people are like, oh, congratulations, you sold for $10 million. And what I tell people is if our goal was to sell it for $10 million, we wouldn't have sold it for $10 million, right? And I think the, the, the same approach happens to this kind of concept of success where our vision is so big that as people are congratulating us now, the Kumu team is so dialed in and so sure that we're so far from where we want to be that I don't think we're going to have a chance to truly celebrate our wins until the dust has settled, you know, like until, I don't know, when we sell the company or if we IPO, I don't think we're really going to enjoy that. So because of that, I don't want my team to burn out. So what we do is we, we, we encourage praise and recognize each other where maybe it's on a monthly basis. For sure, we have um, these quarterly town halls and then we have these retreats and we reflect on the year. So I think it's a combination of like, okay, cool. We have such a huge vision and that keeps us motivated so that we don't kind of celebrate the wins. But I don't have a chance to rest until we just reflect on the quarter and then we reflect on how the year went. But then the moment we reflect and enjoy and then and and refresh for a weekend or a week, we just go right at it because this goal that we're trying to hit is so big that I think Kumu right now, we're a little bit less than uh, 1% of what we want to be. Wow. Which so, is like, yeah. <laughs> no, no, we think like it's basically saying that, that, that your that feeling of achievement is a moving target. I mean, that, that's, how, that's how I see it. Because yeah. as you keep on improving, it's just that, it's just that some, it's sort of like climbing a mountain and you realize all of a sudden when you look back, oh, I've gone this far. I didn't realize I, I've gone up this high. Exactly. So, for example, like a lot of people, they throw out this word unicorn. It's such a weird um, thing. But the thing is, Kumu has a vision, right? We know we could build something that could be $10, $20 billion. But say in three years, we end up selling it for a billion dollars. At that moment, I'm going to be like, oh, my gosh, I failed. But then what's going to happen is, you know, a couple of months passes by, and then I start recognizing the enormous achievement and what it would be to build a billion-dollar company and sell it. And so just like what you're saying, but the thing is, I don't think it would have sold for a billion dollars had we not had a vision to be a $10 billion company, right? And so uh, again, that's, that's the kind of thing that it takes is that uh, to your point, it is a moving target and you just kind of have to focus on, you know, the, the task at hand and just stay focused and just one, execute and two, build a defensible business. And then I don't know, let's see what happens after that. Uh, talk about that. What happens after that? What is next? Two things. What is next for Kumu and what is next for Roland Ross? So the next thing for Kumu is one, I, I think that we're focusing on a series B. And then after that, with that, we we're gonna grow closer to say 20 million monthly active users and building a very so our, our North Star metric. So we have about 450 people who are earning full-time incomes live streaming on Kumu, and about six thousand people who are earning part-time incomes live streaming on Kumu. I want that 450 number to be 10,000, you know, 
Because the implication of an ecosystem that can support 10,000 content creators means hundreds of millions of dollars are being invested in, in, in an ecosystem that's providing more than um, those 10,000 uh, full-time content creators. What we're talking about is e-commerce is generating a lot of um, economic activity. Um, that means the internet is, is a lot better because of the way things have been rolled out with the three telcos. Uh, it also means that these handsets um, are a lot more affordable and we have an ability and that the implications means that Kumu has to be 30, 40 million people and not just 5 million people. So that, that's, that's kind of like where, where Kumu needs to be. And then for me, it's always been a dream of mine before I die is one, I've always wanted to have, have an impact on, on million of, millions of Filipinos in a good way. Um, ironically, I think that reading that goal for 10 years, it looks like this Kumu thing could be that. And then the second thing I want to do before I die is I want to mentor, coach, train 500 um, entrepreneurs uh, to find their specific, find their kumu, because I feel like my work is just starting. And that in the Philippines, especially the Philippines, they won't believe you until you're a success. And so I believe that if I succeed with kumu, kumu gives me the credibility to mentor uh, these 500 leaders. And so I think it would have been inauthentic of me. To come, you know, a typical philam, right? Oh, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm going to start some seminars and I'm going to teach you how to become great. No, I didn't want to. I didn't want to mentor people first. I wanted to build my credibility first by sacrificing everything and risking everything through Kumu to have the credibility to mentor, uh, coach, and train uh, 500 people to find their own personal Kumus. Because the job creation and the leadership required for these 500 people to rise up will have a much much bigger impact than kumu and then i could die okay don't don't die just yet though roland you're doing a great job for all of us roland thanks so much uh, i was i was i i've been very very inspired by this particular podcast we've had you right now a lot of people commenting here right now john ezekiel tanhutko amazing such a great team leader is saying over here, uh, people saying right now, ah, I'm adjust Patrick Boko is saying, I'm adjusting my target right now. Thanks so much for the inspiration uh, that you're bringing to all of us here right now. Um, just for one last thing, let's all get people to download Kumu right now. Guys, I downloaded Kumu. I'm having a great time. I'm building my app over here. I'm building my, my live stream on, on Pitch.Dish. Just want to say something. I, I hope you don't mind a plug here a bit. Pitch.Dish was actually a program put together by Roland to help people recover their jobs. And using Kumu to recover their job. So part of what I did and to work together with him was to create a pitch that dish was to help, which was uh, for Mercato Central to help pitch the dishes of the vendors who lost their jobs. And they could actually use the Kumu e-commerce system to digitally sell their products online. So it's been very, very helpful. And anybody, anybody who wants to come on Kumu can come on Kumu and do quote unquote busking. So again, uh, well, please, please, uh, Tell people to, to subscribe to download Kumu right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think uh, just come on board. We're having a fun time. You know, if you're if you're bored or lonely or just want to meet some really cool people who get you, I think that's the most important thing. Download Kumu to find people who get you and just be yourself. And um, yeah. Again, thanks so much, Roland Ross, founder awesome. and CEO of Kumu. Thanks so much uh, for sharing with us your success secrets and telling us how you pivoted and innovated your business so that we could all survive and thrive in the new normal. Again, my name is RJ Ledesma. Please join me again next week for another RJ Ledesma podcast. Again, 
Thank you so much to everybody who listened in here tonight. Thanks so much, Trola. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.